Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman with Christ-Lives.org. Today we continue our series of lessons in the final countdown, starting with Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. You know, as we look at the book of Revelation, we see that it's a book of contrast. And as we move through the book, we're taken back and forth between heaven and the earth. We've been allowed to witness scenes of joy in the heavens, and we are confronted with scenes of judgment here on earth. You see, in the heavens you see scenes of worship. On the earth, you see scenes of wrath. In this chapter, we are once again taken into heaven. And in these eight verses, which comprise the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation, we are allowed to see a vision of heaven as God prepares for his final judgment of the tribulation earth. There has already been great suffering as the judgment of God has been unleashed on the earth. When these judgments are poured out on the earth, they serve to increase the agony of the wicked. We want to examine John's vision closely today because we're given a glimpse of heaven as it prepares for final judgment. Up to this point, God has mingled mercy and judgment together. Up to this point, God has been leaving the door open for repentance. Now humanity has made its final choice. The world has chosen Satan over God and judgment is coming. There will be no mercy. There will be no more opportunity. There will be no more long suffering or grace. There will only be judgment and the wrath of God for all those who have rejected our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's join John as he looks in on this scene of heavenly preparations. And today I want to preach on this subject, the preparation for the great bow judgments. Let's read from the word of God. We're looking at seven angels with seven plagues. I sat in heaven and saw another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. We see here a vision of judgment. John tells us that he saw another sign. 
The word sign is the same word translated wonder in Revelation chapter 12, 1 and 3. In Revelation 12, 1, we saw a woman representing the nation of Israel. In Revelation 12, 3, John saw a great red dragon that represented Satan. In these verses, John sees seven angels who will be God's instruments of final judgment upon the earth. John tells us that this vision is both great and marvelous. The word great here speaks of something that is important and astonishing. The word marvelous has the idea of something to be wondered at. John is calling our attention to this vision because what is happening here is something important and amazing. You see, in the last chapter, we saw the horrifying judgments of God as they were visited on earth. Here, we're allowed to see the judgment from heaven's perspective as it prepares for judgment. It's the scene of a final judgment. John sees seven angels, and these angels have the last seven plagues. Here, the word plague means a hitting or a wound. What we see here is God's hitting the earth and wounding it in judgment. The lashes of God's whip of judgment and begin to fall in this world system, and there is nothing that can stop the damage that is about to be inflicted on those who have rejected the gospel of grace. When these seven judgments are poured out on the earth, they will complete the judgments of the tribulation period. Let me say that one more time. When these seven judgments are poured out on the earth, they will complete the judgments of the tribulation period. Verse 1 says, Through these judgments, the wrath of God is filled up. See, this phrase translates from the Greek word telos. This is the same word used by Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Just before he died, he cried, It is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. You see, this word is very expressive and it's used many ways in that society. See, servants used it when they completed an assignment. Priests used it when they located a worthy animal to be used as a sacrifice. Farmers used this word when a perfect specimen had been born into their flock. Artists use it when they were putting the finishing touches on a work of art. Merchants used it when a deal had been struck. Often your receipt would contain this word. It meant that the debt had been paid in full. Soldiers used it when they placed their foot on the neck of a vanquished foe. Homeowners used it when they paid the last payment on their mortgage. They would often inscribe the word of a plaque and nail it to the front of the house, revealing to all that the final payment had been paid. Jesus used this word on Calvary to let everyone know that he had finished the Father's work and that redemption's price had been fully and finally paid. Praise God, the salvation is finished. 
It's used here to signify completion as well. You see, when these last seven plagues are poured out, God's judgment on this world will be finished. This is a scene of full judgment. The seven angels are given seven vials or bowls, and these bowls are said to be the full of the wrath of God. The word full here means to be swelled. It was used in that day of a ship that was filled with cargo. Here it refers to the wrath of God that has reached the bursting point. Up until now, the wrath of God has been like water flowing over a dam. The damage has been severe, but the dam has held back the worst part. In these verses, the dam of God's wrath is about to break, and the waters of judgment are going to drown both sin and sinner. Revelation chapter 14 verse 10 says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Rest assured, judgment is coming, and there will be no escape. You know, in 1899, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, it was a growing steel town located around the Stony Creek River. It had a population of about 30,000 people. On May the 31st, 1899, at 4.07 p.m., after a night of heavy rains, the South Fork Dam burst. And when it did, 20 million tons of water came crashing through that narrow valley. Boiling with huge chunks of debris, the wall of flood water grew at times to 60 feet high, tearing downhill at 40 miles an hour and leveling everything in its path. When the dam broke and water came hurtling towards Johnstown, the people heard the roar and understood what had happened. Thousands tried to escape, but were soon overtaken by the waters. When the next day dawned, over 2,200 people were dead. Some of the bodies were not uncovered until years after the flood. There was no time to escape, and there was no means of escape. Johnstown was destroyed without mercy in a matter of minutes. You see, that is but a glimpse of the horror that is coming on this world when God's wrath is poured out. The dam will break and judgment will fall. You need to be sure that you are in Jesus and secure from the wave of wrath that will soon come upon this lost world. We just saw a vision of judgment. Let's look at a vision of jubilation. See, even as heaven prepares to unleash judgment upon the earth, there is rejoicing in heaven. I praise the Lord that there is a land that's free from cares, sins, and sufferings of this world. Every time we are privileged to look into heaven, we see the same thing. We see the saints of God rejoicing in the presence of their Redeemer. And this vision is no different. If you look at the setting of this jubilation, these saints are standing on a sea of glass mingled with fire. This glassy sea speaks of God's judgment as being firm and fixed. On this earth, there is nothing more constantly changing than the ocean. The sea is never still and is never the same. This sea is solid and unmoving. Judgment is fixed and it cannot be altered. It is mingled with fire to remind us that God is a God of wrath who is in the process of judging this world. And if you remember, there's a sea of brass 
outside the tent of the tabernacle. Before the priests entered the tent, they were required to wash in that sea of brass. It symbolized cleansing and forgiveness of sin. How many times have I stopped in 1 John 1-9 through and washed my sins and stains away? I thank God that there's still a place of forgiveness and restoration today. You see, in heaven, that sea of brass has become a sea of glass. There will be no more need for saints to come to God for cleansing. We will never fail him again. That will be a blessing. But for the lost sinner, this sea of brass has become a sea of glass. And this sea reminds us that it has become too late for repentance. Judgment is set and fixed. Man has reached his limit, and God is about to pour out his wrath on a lost and sinful world. What a horror awaits the people who dwell on earth. Let's look at the source of this jubilation. These heaven dwellers are rejoicing, and with good reason. Because these are the tribulation saints that we met way back in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. These are people who heard the gospel when it was preached during the tribulation. They heard the call of God and they repented of their sins and they were saved. Many of them were called upon to give their lives for Jesus. And this they did, dying horrible deaths at the hand of the Antichrist. Now they're home in heaven. They're safe they're secure, and they're saved. And they rejoice in the victory that they have been given. While those who dwell on the earth writhe under the lashes of God's whip of wrath, these saints of God stand perfect and saved in the presence of God, and they praise him for his grace and salvation. Just a reminder, heaven will be a place of praise and glory to the Lord. I look forward to being in a place where praise is welcomed and encouraged. I look forward to having a body that can offer unhindered praise to our worthy Savior. If you're not in a position to praise and give glory to the Lord, heaven is not the place for you. Let's look at the song of this jubilation. These tribulation saints lift up their voices in song to praise the God who redeemed their souls. We are told they sing in two songs. They sing the song of Moses and they sing the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses is found in Exodus 15. It is the first song of the Bible. The song of the Lamb is the last song recorded in the Bible. The song of Moses was sung by the children of Israel when they had been delivered from Egypt and Pharaoh. The song of the Lamb is sung by the saints of God when they are delivered from the Antichrist. The song of Moses was sung by the Red Sea. The song of the Lamb is sung on the Glassy Sea. The song of Moses was to praise God for bringing his people out. The song of the Lamb is sung to praise God for bringing his people in. Both songs are songs of redemption and praise for the God who excels in delivering his people from sin and sinners. Let's take a moment to examine that song. Look in verse 3. They sing of his works. You see, they sing of the God who works in power and moves in glory. In verse 3, they sing of his ways. They sing of the God whose ways are always right and just. Verse 4, they sing of his wonder. 
They exalt his greatness and magnify the God who alone is worthy to be praised. They sing of his worship. They sing of the God who is worthy to receive and will receive the worship of all mankind. They sing of his wrath. They sing of the God who alone is worthy to judge sin and sinners because he alone is holy and just. These saints have been through a terrible time, but they found God to be a faithful God. He saved them. He kept them. He carried them home to glory, and they stand in his presence and lift their voices in song to the God of their salvation. Just as surely as heaven will be a place of praise, it will be a place filled with singing. I like good singing here. I love the old gospel songs. I love Hillsong worship. I love elevation worship. I love all the songs on WXRQ radio. They can really set the mood for a service and just a mood in general. But in heaven, our songs of praise will be lifted to a new level. We will sing in perfect pitch and harmony, and we will sing songs of praise to the God who saved us from our sins and from his wrath. It's a time of justice. You see, the scene changes, and our attention becomes focused on the tabernacle in heaven. What John sees here is the original tabernacle. Perhaps it's the one that Moses built in the wilderness was patterned after this heavenly place of worship. It's from this tabernacle that God's judgment issues forth onto the earth. You see, in verse 5, his justice is decreed. This place that John sees is called the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. The word testimony refers to the law that was handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai. The ancient law set God's standard for living. Through the law, God manifested his glory and his holiness. The law also showcased the sinfulness of man. The law was given so that men might understand the holiness of God and what he expected from his people. The tables of the law were placed in the Ark of the Covenant as a permanent witness to Israel of the holy demands of a righteous God. You see, here in heaven, John sees that the law is still in force. The law of God has always served as God's standard of righteousness. And it will always be so. Man has tried to alter the standards of God, but they are carved in stone and they are unchanging. Men have broken the law of God and law demands that people, men, be judged. <clears throat> God will defend his righteousness and judge all those who violate his law. You see, that's what's about to take place in the next chapter. See, by the way, Jesus came to fulfill the law for all those who will put their faith in him. He hasn't abolished the law, but he has fulfilled it for those who are saved. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And when a person's faith rests in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not required to keep the law to please the Lord. They are, however, expected to live holy lives for the glory of God. The law no longer stands in judgment over the redeemed saints of God, for in Jesus 
we are seen as being righteous. You've heard me say this over and over again. When we stand there before God, covered in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, he can see no sin. If you look at verses 6 through 7, justice is delivered. Seven angels appear out of the temple in heaven. They are clothed in pure and white linen. This signifies their holiness, and it reflects the holiness of the one that they serve. They wear golden girdles or sashes around their chest. This speaks of the majesty and the glory of the God that they serve. These angels have in their hands the seven last plagues that will be poured out on the earth. These are the four beasts we met in Revelation 4, verses 4 through 8. They exist to glorify the God of all creation. These beasts give the angels seven bowls filled with God's wrath. This signifies the fact that the plagues of the tribulation will be carried out because of God's wrath and anger against sin and sinners. God's wrath has been building against sin ever since Adam and Eve Eve ascend in Eden. One day the wrath of God will bull over and absolute judgment will be the end result. The only refuge a sinner has, whether it is now or in that future day, is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Justice is dispensed. The, table that was, the temple that was standing open has been closed. No one is allowed to enter because it is, it is filled with the glory and presence of Almighty God. This image indicates that the day of mercy has passed. The doorway will be opened again during the millennium, but it has been closed for the duration of the tribulation and it will not be opened. Man's access to grace and salvation has been forever cut off. The door has been closed and God is going to judge sinners and there's nothing that they can do to stop him. It is too late to pray. It is too late to repent. It is too late to change. It is simply too late. There is no more hope. There is no more grace. And there is no more opportunity. See, the door has been shut and it will not be opened again. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 10, Jesus tells a parable about ten virgins. Five are wise and five are foolish. The five wise virgins were ready when the bridegroom came, and they entered in with him and his bride. The five foolish virgins were not ready. They had no oil in their lamps, and while they were gone to get their oil, the door was closed, and they were shut out of the wedding chamber. See, this parable will be a reality in many people's lives one day. I ask that you not let it be true in your life. You need to be sure that you know him. You need to be sure that you are saved. Today, God is offering salvation to whoever will come to Jesus. And in that day, he will offer salvation to no one. All he will give them then is judgment, wrath, and damnation. Get in while the door is still open. I'm going to ask you to bow with me. I'd like to pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to share your word. I thank you for everyone around the globe that's listening to these series of sermons because the book of Revelation is a book about our past, present, and our future, God. 
Father, I ask you to move in the lives of those who are listening to me today, Lord. Those that have not accepted your son, Jesus, Father, I ask you to work on them in a mighty way and make your Holy Spirit known in their lives that they too will come while the door is still open and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, there are also those that have accepted you and have accepted your son, but they're not living a Christian life. And Father, I ask you to touch them too and help them know that through them, others can come to know Jesus. Help them to return to the life of a Christian father and to reach out to others so that they too can all still come while the door is still open. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. If you made a decision today, I would like very much to know about it. Please send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org. If you would like us to pray for you, we consider it an honor to pray for you. I thank you all for your time and your attention today. And may God bless you and keep you. Amen.